the thought of transitioning into your professional life can be daunting at times. What is expecting me on the other side? Am I going to be happy? Will it be easy? How much am I going to make? If you add into the mix the question of, do I stay in academia? Am I a failure if I don't? It can become an overwhelming and paralyzing place to be emotionally. In today's episode, Liliana Vitorino shares with us how she crossed this ford and what factors were important for her at the moment of taking hard decisions along her journey. She also talks about her experience getting into industry and growing professionally in this space. What we need to have is an opportunity to sit down with an interviewer and show him or her, you know, all the skills that we have or that we acquired during the PhD. Because it's so common for people just to think that if you are doing a PhD or if you are doing research, that you are a crazy scientist that lives on a bubble. And, and, and that's it, right? Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting papaphd.com and following the instructions in the website footer. I also wanted to let you know that because of some technical issues at the time of the interview with Liliana's microphone, her sound is not perfect. Please bear with us and listen on. It'll be worth it. So today we're talking with Liliana Vitorino. Liliana uh, describes herself as a former biologist, currently a product manager uh, for medical devices. Um, in this activity, she travels a lot, works nonstop, but has, uh, has fun along the way and always has time for friends and family. Welcome to the show. I'm super happy to have you on, uh, here on Papa PhD. We've known each other for a long time. Uh, it goes back to my undergrad in biology. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like you now to share a little bit about you and about uh, how you got you know, from a bachelor's in biology to a PhD to the position you're currently in. Thank you, David, for having me uh, today for this uh, chat. So starting back uh, on, on my PhD. So, I, I did a PhD on microbiology, um, focusing on infectious diseases. So, um, so even though I, I didn't went to medical school um, during the PhD, I uh, I had a lot to deal with medicine. I collaborated with some doctors. So, um, and and now that proves to be a, a valuable experience. Um, you know, since I moved from the PhD then to the healthcare industry. Um, so uh, then, but of course that uh, this was not a, a straightforward, uh, straightforward path, right? Um, 
I think like everyone else, um, four years of PhD, they are, it's never uh, a straight line, right? Uh, I think that's real life for, uh, for everyone and for every PhD student. So um, uh, the thing is that we need to be agile, not only during the PhD, but after it and, and to decide what, what is really the, the path that you want to do after uh, uh, the PhD. So um, along the way, I had several options. I did different things. Um, and when I look back, I, it now seems to me that everything happened for a reason. You know, that, you know, I did these four years of PhD. I got very good connections along the way. I got uh, huge experience in, in different areas, as I was saying, not only uh, from the medicine uh, part, but um, also really in the academia and, and, um, uh, and in research. And what I can say for, you know, during the PhD is that, you know, I really met and I was surrounded by great people, uh, which always helped me uh, in the most difficult times. But also the most important thing is that I was surrounded by people that believed me and set me for success. So, and I truly believe that, you know, that helped me during the PhD, but also helped me moving forward when I decided to move and to leave the, the research world and the academia. So you mentioned that you had uh, people around you that, that, that set you up for success. Uh, I think that's something super important and we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later. But now I'd like, to, I'd like you to go back to your, your PhD-ing years and, um, and to share with the audience a little bit uh, of um, you know, how you, with the help of, of, of this network of people, uh, but how you navigated, uh, especially the, the finishing part, the you know, writing, uh, defending, all, all this part that, has a, that brings a lot of stress and anxiety to a lot of people. Because um, you know, I imagine by the time you were, you were writing and you defended, you already knew that you were going to follow a different path professionally, right? Did you know by the, by the time you were writing your thesis uh, what, what you were going to do professionally and how did you navigate that, you know, that, uh, that change and that transition? When I was in my last year of, of the PhD, um, I had a very uh, awesome, very, very good opportunity that was, you know, I was um, invited to speak in a big international conference to present uh, the data that I had so far. That really was a turning point because as you can imagine, I was the youngest speaker on that meeting, um, also the only Portuguese one, and that uh, really opened a lot of doors um, at that time. So I was invited to do a final stage of my PhD abroad. Um, I was invited to to do some and uh, write some articles in collaboration with uh, key people in the, in uh, in that area, 
um, and 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 that you know in the in the final year of my PhD that really gave me an extra motivation and put some light at the end of the tunnel because um, you know that at that time we were able uh, I I do believe that now the rules are a bit different but at that time we were able to apply to a post uh, a post grant even before presenting the viva so um, all that together you know it was it means that I moved uh, for the last year of my PhD I moved to uh, to Bath in UK for a couple of months I experienced you know new challenges new colleagues uh, moving away for the first time you know away from home for a, a long period uh, working in a different environment and you know how things can be really different um, from working in Portugal and the PhD and research in Portugal uh, 15 years ago and then in a big university uh, in UK so different uh, different experience uh, even different journal clubs or how the journal clubs were conducted at that time. Even, you know, things like Friday afternoons in the pub, you know, um, that discussing science. And then, for instance, I learned, and I never forget that experience, that for the first time I really learned that um, you do, or the best connections that you can do is really in an informal environment over a pint. And... And we, we still do this right now, even in the business world, you know, and it's when you go to a meeting and you have, and you do your all connections, you try to influence the best you can uh, to, to reach your goals. Most of the times it's not, you know, in a meeting or seated at a table uh, in a meeting, but is over lunch or over dinner when you connect to, uh, to one uh, important person that is a, a key decision maker or decision making, you know, for uh, for a particular um, topic. So all this was uh, the everything that happened in this year was very helpful. And when I start writing or finishing the last year of of my PhD, um, it was very good to know that because then I was invited to apply and to be work there and to move there for the postdoctoral uh, grant so I already had something you know um, uh, planned but as everything in life things change quite unexpectedly right so uh, and uh, and I think this is also something that uh, um, uh, that lots of PhD students experience is that you finish your grant, your PhD grant, before you finish writing or before you finish even you know all the experiences, right? And then you need money to survive, uh, to be really practical and. At the same time, you know, there was uh, some turbulences, let's call it like that, in my personal life um, that, you know, uh, pushed me to get a job um, as a way to be financially independent. So 
at that time I, I was very practical. So I need to, I already have the PhD grant. This is what I would like to do and move it forward. But, you know, in the meantime, I really need to, to, to survive, to have money while I'm, I'm writing the, the thesis. So um, I applied for a job that I saw an ad in a, a, a journal um, and I applied for a job, a sales rep job in a pharmaceutical um, industry. Um, and uh, I, I got the job, you know, among uh, uh, 1,000 candidates. So they select 30 to start a new team. And, and I, got, I got that job. So then I had the job during the day and I was writing the thesis uh, during, uh, during the night. Um, and, and that's where it was my first experience outside academia, um, was, was during, uh, those couple of months, but to be really honest, um, it was a very basic job, um, so to speak. So it didn't fulfill me at all. Uh, but indeed, what allowed me was to write my doctoral thesis, um, and then I was ready to defend it, the, the, my viva a couple of months later. And if everything would have, you know, and then the plan was really okay. I defend the thesis. I can activate my grant, and I will move to us, and then I will continue on research. Um, and again, you know, it, it also things changed again. So, and it, it really uh, changed um, in ways. Uh, and this is also maybe something that I would like to, to share is all the dilemmas that we face and, uh, you know, having to choose and having to take a decision, you know, um, Really, should I go? Uh, should I stay or should I go? Should I go to keep on research or keep uh, going again or keep doing research or changing completely? You know, uh, my career path. It's not an easy um, uh, an easy answer to get. Huh? And um, and the thing is, and this can be a bit. Um, uh, personal as well, but uh, the truth is, you know, I was not re really happy on that job, but I got a proposal for another job as a product manager, a, a, a young product manager uh, in, a, in a molecular um, biology devices company. So, which was much more related to my, uh, to my heart. Right, so uh, it was much uh, in line with all my background so far, and on the other hand, I sh could say that you know it was my personal life, and um, and it was uh, uh, love. This can be a bit corny, you know, but but I think that's also important because then I was faced with a dilemma on. What, what should I prioritize, right? Um, it should be my recent relationship and staying in Portugal and bet all my ships on, on that. 
while I was presented with a, a new opportunity in 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 uh, uh, in my career path to change jobs or go for uh, the post grant that I was awarded to, and it was a very good, I must say, project. Um, so th that was the dilemma at that time. So personal life versus academic path and with a professional proposition that was in the background that was offered to you. Exactly. So and, uh, the truth is that, you know, I knew that, you know, having a uh, uh, long distance relationships doesn't work and um, and that you know even though I really wanted that post grant um, I wouldn't be happy on the other hand I was very uh, excited and curious on try on trying this new job offering and and applying some of the res some of the knowledge that I acquired during the PhD uh, on a more practical level and uh, on on a business side. So you can guess, right? So my decision then at the end was staying in Portugal, um, and he's now the father of my child. So. Um, we are fine on that way. And then I, um, I developed myself uh, in another perspective. You know, I must say that I, I see myself like I succeed on my personal life, but also I moved to a complete different field, right? I moved to marketing and I started that journey that led me where I am now. So... Uh, almost starting from scratch because you are also biologist. You know that you don't learn anything on, about marketing uh, when you go through uh, university or 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 PhD. But also, it gives you so much so much background on so so many things that then going back and study a bit and and self studying or you know being really autodidactic helps you and 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 you can really be successful mm -hmm. and it's it's definitely one of the things that that you pick up uh, in grad school is learning to teach yourself different skills different uh, different uh, you know spe specialities uh, and, and and learning uh, learning to do new things on your own and i guess you had to do some of that but uh, I imagine that maybe even in your first job that you mentioned while you were writing, uh, but but probably more in the in your current position, that the companies um, that hired you gave you some training. Is, is that the case? And uh, and uh, if so, uh, how how did that go? You know, as a PhD, learning to navigate in this new environment where there was marketing and sales, etc. Uh, how is it? How were you able to learn the language, learn the culture, and and uh, kind of find your bearings in this new universe? So, I can share with you, uh, for instance, that m on my first interview for my first job, so that one that was a sales rep, um, which, by the way, was quite harsh. So um, I really thought that I wouldn't be selected. 
uh, the country manager at the end of, of a very long interview, um, she said something like, uh, um, I can see that you might turn out to be one of my best candidates, but I can ensure you that if you get the job, you need to find intellectual challenge outside work um, because you will be uh, very bored. And, and she was right. So as I was telling you, you know, um, it was not a, a, the right job for me. It was really a no-brainer. But um, and I, I got that because we the first months we were uh, trained on on the products and what the products were meant for you know like uh, uh, hematology products um, really things that you know it was you really need to understand the basics of uh, human body and biology you know pure biology and. I was there. I, I remember, like it was like today. You know, this really, I have a clear uh, um, that very clear in my mind that people were there teaching us about that, and I was just uh, pretending that I was taking notes and I was writing things for my thesis because, you know, I knew almost all that. What I need to know was really the the characteristics of the product right and then uh, that was really uh, an easy thing uh, for me um, but then when I moved to a more product manager position uh, of course you always need to, uh, to to be trained on the product itself and then it's um, you you need to train yourself and you know be curious to to learn about if you are moving to this field to read books about marketing even now that i'm moving also more towards you know managing position listening podcasts about uh, managing uh, marketing it's always you need to be always uh, up to date on all the topics and one good thing of being in in the industry is that there is a clear career path that they they set to you and they discuss with you, and this is always something that you should and they push you to put in your development plan. Is okay. What are the gaps that I have for this job and for the future, and how can I um, overcome those? Right, and how can um, the company help you in overcoming uh, those gaps? If it's uh, to, uh, through training uh, inside, no training that can be developed inside is through having a coach, uh, colleagues that can coach. So this is um, uh, especially in in in, in uh, big companies that you really have that development plan. And on the other hand, also what you have is how you can leverage your skills. To be better on your job and also how you can leverage your skills to help your peers right your colleagues so and if you see all the skills that we acquire during the the phd um i think they are you know uh, there are a lot of skills that we have and what we on what we really need is to have an opportunity and if I look back, and even what I was saying, you know, about this this first experience, um, at the end, 
it was a great opportunity. So open my horizons to new realities, uh, to the business-related ones. And as you can imagine, you know, you spend four or five years in a PhD. No one talks to you about um, revenue goals or, you know, how much uh, euros or dollars you need to achieve or you need to sell and what are the objectives in terms of uh, units or forecasting, right? Even in, in a PhD, you know, as a PhD uh, researcher, it's rarely you're going to worry about how much the pipette tips cost. And, uh, you know, that's usually that's left to, to supervisors, right? Or someone who manages the lab. For uh, As a PhD student, it's out of your realm of, uh, of, uh, yeah. inf of you know of what you worry about and what you're responsible of so I don't know even how it's today when you apply to a PhD grant but at that time I was I never you know deal dealt with numbers you know I I, I know that afterwards you know having to submit a, um, another kind of projects uh, you need to really to put over you know head counts and all that right uh, new equipments the costs of everything but for a PhD you really don't have a, a clue uh, if you are doing you know 10 PCRs a day how much that costs right yeah yeah it's it's not it's not something that's part of, of the the mandate for supervisors to to, uh, but it probably you know we would gain from having some glimpse of that to, because it's very applicable later on if you if you choose different careers. Now we're almost getting to the the half uh, point of the interview, and one of the things that I, that uh, I, I think uh, I've I understood from what you're saying, but you I'd like you to develop a little bit more. Uh, has to do with what skill set translates to your current position that comes from your experience doing do, doing research and and doing your PhD. Uh, and the idea is, you know, is just to share with with the listeners that may be thinking, oh, but you know, I'm doing a PhD, and then if I leave for if I go to industry, I will have wasted my time, or you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, lost. Uh, on uh, on on that job or on that position, so yeah, just uh, share a little bit of how the mindset and the and the skills that you bring as a PhD help you every day, and helped you get to the position you're in today. I got that question uh, almost in all my interviews. You know, not not now, but when I started, or at least you know, my first two or three jobs. Um, because as you can imagine, my CV uh, for the first and the second job was the bunch of articles that I published, all the posters that I presented, the oral communication, and that's it, right? Then, of course, now it's a bit different. But, you know, I always put there on my CV and even, you know, it's even if you see my LinkedIn profile, you know, it's all the things that I did during my uh, my um, uh, P, uh, during my PhD, and I think that that's and that's quite important. And I think the the what we need to have is an opportunity to sit down with an interviewer and show 
him or her, you know, all the skills that we have or that we acquired during the PhD. Because it's so common for people just to think that if you are doing a PhD or if you are doing research, that you are a crazy scientist that lives on a bubble. And, and, and that's it, right? So to show that um, you know how to communicate, that you have one thing that I truly believe that we learn with PhD, it's resilience, right? And I think that's really uh, helpful. Also, you know, we deal during the PhD, we deal with so many uh, different stakeholders. Uh, we also need to influence uh, our colleagues, our uh, bench buddies, you know, to help us to discuss. Um, we don't, we don't work even if it's only our project, right? And our colleague on, uh, on, uh, in front of, you know, uh, of us are working in a different project. We don't work in silos. Uh, if you do, I think you, you are not, you won't succeed. So. Uh, it's it's really important to, for people to understand that we know how to communicate, that we know how to to work um, as a team player, um, that we we deal with different culture, we meet different people, um, and and that that is very important, and and that is uh, what will make someone a manager, you know to have you um, in, in, uh, in the team is to have something, uh, to have someone with, with that kind of, of experience and someone that, of course, it, it depends on, on the job position that you are applying for, but uh, someone that if you are in a, a, with, in a position like I am now, I'm in marketing, but, you know, in the healthcare environment, everything is, is moving quite fast. You know, there, there is science behind. So it's very important that you, you develop all the marketing and business and go-to-market strategies, but always with a rational behind and a clinical and scientific uh, mindset and background. And... Probably that's what sets me apart from other colleagues that don't have that that background. And I'm not. That doesn't mean that I'm better or worse. That means that as a, a manager, if you have an heterogeneous team with different backgrounds, it's much better. And that's why it would be important um, to to have these kind of people and in in a team in, in the business environment. Um, and we are all different. We all have different backgrounds, but having a scientific one really helps. Like I see one of my colleagues that has an engineer background, he thinks uh, and the way he thinks is completely different of my way of thinking, but there's, there is, you know, we complement each other like other colleagues complement our um, the way that we think and define strategies, and that's what makes uh, uh, a team stronger. So, and and that would be, I, I think, my advice that we really need, you know, for a PhD student 
to have the opportunity to um, to show you know what um, what are the the, the things uh, and the, the skills and and the tools that he can leverage from the PhD uh, to the business and of course he's not doing you know uh, an experiment but it's how to deal with uh, all the, the issues, how to solve uh, problems, for instance. You're mentioning problem solving, and I, I, I agree that, and that I think it's one of the big ones uh, as a PhD, uh, especially if, you, if you're doing something experimental. One of the big things you learn, one of the big takeaways is learning to, to, to solve problems and sometimes complicated ones. Uh, and for sure, employers will appreciate that in a, in a team. But I find it interesting also that um, that what you're saying is, uh, okay, I'm coming with this uh, background. Uh, I studied this. I researched in this. Uh, this mean this doesn't mean that I'll be maladapted to to uh, the team that I'll be integrated in. It'll it means that what I will bring to this team is going to be different and will will. Uh, will improve the kind of uh, Swiss army knife that the team is. And we see that um, people are really, you know, moving from academia and research to industry. Um, it's, it's not always considered, at least, you know, in Portugal, like uh, a, a good move or a nice move and, and having a PhD might considered be considered like overqualified right but in my opinion there's no such thing like someone that is overqualified for a job and in the same way that we shouldn't uh, consider um, we shouldn't be considered for a job just because we like we like experience right so if you think about myself in the beginning I was both I was overqualified with a PhD, uh, and I had zero experience, but nevertheless, I got uh, uh, the first job, and then the second one, and then I I I, uh, I went from there to where I uh, I am now. So that's really something we just need to go and to have a chance to to sell ourselves. You know, if that's the job that you want, or at least to try um, a job that, okay, now I want to, to move to another and to do a different thing. So what competencies should I leverage and then go for it and just work hard and do your best to exceed yourself in, uh, uh, in the position that uh, you would like to see yourself. Excellent. Uh I'm really enjoying hearing what you're saying and definitely we'll continue talking a little bit about it because this these skills of, of selling yourself, again, as a PhD, as a, as a doctoral researcher, these skills are not things that you're developing, uh, you know, by default. And um, I, yeah, I'm really curious to talk to you about this a little bit more, which we'll do after this little break. I'd really love you, the audience, to play an active role in the show. So if there's a theme you'd like to see covered on the show, or if there's a guest you'd like me to interview, head over to anchor.fm forward slash papaphd 
and drop us a voice message to be featured on a future episode. On the Papa PhD website, you can also subscribe to our newsletter and get our resource sheet at the bottom of every page, and you can also leave us a written message in our contacts page. So welcome to part two of uh, this conversation with Liliana Vitorino. Before the break, Liliana was talking about how uh, important it is to kind of reframe, uh, you know, what you learned from, from your uh, grad school days uh, to, to tailor it specifically towards whatever your employer is, is looking. And, and the term she used was, you know, learn how to sell yourself Yes, as a, a PhD, but, you know, as a potential value-added member of a team. I find this is very, very important. And uh, one of the things that, I, that I'm curious is that first offer that you had while you were writing, uh, in terms of pay, what, what were you expecting? You know, uh, and at that time, it was kind of a side gig that you were getting because you, you were writing. So probably your expectations were not extremely high. but How, you know, how was that um, process of someone suggesting a salary and maybe negotiating? And then how did that change maybe in your second job? Uh, and uh, yeah, basically, what can people expect, uh, you know, coming out of a PhD uh, as uh, compensation for their first position? And also, what mindset do you think is the most useful at that time and the most conducive to eventually having a fulfilling path and, and getting to a, you know, to the position and the, 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 the numbers, let's say, that you expect and that, that you foresee for yourself? I would say that the first thing uh, or, you know, the mindset that we should have, you know, going to the first job, uh, coming from a, a PhD, maybe even if you, if you come from the university, is that... Uh, one shouldn't expect to start on a top position just because you have a PhD, right? Just because you, you think yourself like a smart uh, person that you publish more than 10 or 20 papers, that now you have a couple of students working with you and for you, um, and you are, uh, you are considered in the, in the academia world already, you know, very as a very uh, valuable person and very knowledgeable. But don't forget that moving from research to industry doesn't always mean that your PhD or the PhD that you hold is considered in the same way that was or is considered in the academia world. So I, I understand and I, I, I can see that that's, that is not... That can be a, a bit, uh, um, you know, it's, it doesn't uh, help us a lot thinking that I studied for, uh, or, you know, for four or five years uh, yeah, uh, more after university and uh, I was working hard on a PhD. Now to accept this role that I think, you know, I, I deserve and I'm, I would uh, be better in uh, uh, another and on a another level or you know on a top position. But honestly, I think that if we have an opportunity, we should embrace it. 
and you know and work very hard and and really show that we deserve and work very hard as i was saying and that we can uh, be successful and and move forward and from my experience in the business world also um, usually people move around you know every two or three years when when you have when you you are good on what you do um, there will always be opportunities inside the company or outside the company so um, and I will answer your question about the, the salary but but that's very important you know that for the first um, for the first uh, uh, interviews or every time that you go to an interview that you are able to sell yourself in terms of explaining really what are your um, your uh, how can you contribute your your strengths exactly? How can you contribute to that team? You know what? Um, uh, how you know you deal with all um, the uh, the the things? You know how how you grew as as a person and and on a professional side during your PhD that you now uh, can leverage that on a professional way. Um, but also, you know, we should also be in a strong position uh, to uh, to negotiate and really and show ambitions. It's very important also to show ambition, but also there is a fine line, right? Not to uh, to show a bit uh, of, you know, I should earn or, you know, I should get this job and I want to earn this, but also, of course, not to be... Uh, uh, paid the same level as any other colleague uh, that worth it. So uh, coming back to what you were asking me, you know, in the first job, um, I, never, I didn't even discuss the salary. I really wanted a job uh, as a, a way, as I, I stated before, to be financially independent. And at that time, I, I can openly say that they offered me the same amount that I was uh, earning as a PhD uh, student. So at that time, 15 years ago, was around 900 euros uh, a month um, net value. So plus insurance and a car, because as a sales rep, you need to, uh, to have a car. And, and, and at that time, for me, was was perfect you know it was this is what I had before when I had the grant so and I have a, a bit more even of benefits uh, right now and then of course when you move forward in your career also you learn um, how to negotiate um, as a, a thumb of rule usually you should always when you move and you move up in your career path and you move and when you move from companies one of the things that you read um, in the books is that you should aim between 50 to 10 percent increase in your salary um, and maybe this is something for uh, uh, your listeners to, to, to have in mind you know when moving forward um, within the, the industry but also now you know there are so many resources you know you can you have uh, blogs you have uh, podcasts about 
you know, how to negotiate in an interview, how to prepare yourself in the inter for interviews. And I, I must say that, you know, my first two interviews, <coughs> So when I I applied for the sales rep uh, position and then when I applied for as a junior um, a product manager for uh, for molecular uh, diagnostics, I never I, I didn't prepare myself. No, I just went there. Uh, I, I like to talk. Uh, uh, so um, and we talked and. Uh, you know, I tried to to use you know everything that uh, um, that I had in my favor to show that I would be the right uh, uh, candidate and the perfect match for for that position. But then moving forward to the other ones and this last one that um, and this position that I am now as an international uh, product manager, I really you know I really prepared myself so. I, I read the job description, I, I read a lot about business cases because I also, uh, I was submitted to two hours business case. Um, uh, I, I did some research about how much this uh, job position was paid. You know, um, Michael Page, for instance, has uh, uh, publications on, on the range of the salaries sorry, the salary ranges uh, in different countries for different job positions in different industries. So that's also a good way uh, for us to have an idea on, you know, how much can uh, we ask for or negotiate. So, and then also the benefits. But when you already have some benefits coming from one company and moving to the other, of course, that at least you expect to keep those same benefits, and always, you know, uh, ask, you know, what what other benefits are available, and and all that should be taken taking into consideration when you change uh, jobs, when you change companies, right? What are the the pros and cons? So. Um, and another uh, advice that I would like to give is, you know, LinkedIn is a very good uh, tool uh, for this. So you have uh, lots of headhunters there. You have coaching, career coaching, posting lots of things. Um, you know, that even if you start a conversation with some of them, they can, because also they want to sell themselves to you because they want, you know, for these headhunters and, and career coaching, they they want to expand their their networking and their, um, you know, the, the people that they can, uh, they can, uh, um, offer a job, right? And they can, uh, uh, work with in the future. So what I'm hearing is, first, if, if there's a, a, an organization, a company you'd like to work for, get your foot in the door, meaning do your homework, see what, what if you're thinking of salary, what's uh, like on Glassdoor, there's different sorts of websites also where people can see what types of salaries exist. So do your homework, be ready to start low-ish, but then work your way towards the, the position that you want and the, the, and also the salary that you want. And uh, from what I understand, also 
be uh, on the lookout for internal career um, development opportunities that arise. Because uh, you seem to have mentioned that not long ago, you yourself had an internal change of position towards this international project manager one, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm happy with what I'm, I'm doing right now. I was happy before, um, but that doesn't mean that you should stay doing exactly the same thing or even in the same industry for the rest of your life. And, and nowadays, everything is so, um, things change so quickly, right? And, and also, it's easy to, to get bored. Companies really appreciate people that are ambitious and want to, to move on on the career. And I was, I was saying before, they really put in place a career development plan uh, for, to, um, for each of, of their employees. So um, we always should look equal our competencies, right? The ones that we developed before during our PhD or even during a job that even we didn't really like, but it was the, the way that we started when moving from um, academia to uh, uh, to industry, you know, and and turning all these competencies in assets, and you know, and really use that assets to promote yourself. Uh, to go to uh, another job, another position, moving forward. You know, and you only need to get an opportunity, an opportunity to start. And, and, and this is my experience, even if it's not the way you would really like and the way, you know, saying this is not really quite the job that I want, but give yourself time. Say, I will do this for six months and... Uh, I will, um, you know, I, I I will then try to move to another position, another company, uh, another field, another industry, whatever. But and and then I'm pretty sure. Then when you look back, you will see that you gain something with the, that experience. You will you gain. Uh, couple of competencies, you know, experiences, connections, even you will gain to know that I don't want to do this anymore. So this is not, it's good when you know what you want, but I think it's also good when you know what you don't want. And, And sometimes for us to know what we don't want, we need to experience that. So, um, we need to jump into opportunities we need of course to also work on creating those opportunities and um, that's and that means you know networking uh searching uh, applying to ads uh that you see you know connect with head uh, head um, hunters uh if really it's something that you want to do when you finish your phd if it's to have an opportunity uh to move to the industry that's what you really should be uh, working on uh, to get yourself a chance. That's really good advice. And like you were mentioning today, LinkedIn uh, is a very, very good resource, a uh, very good place to be for, for, for that because it's so, uh, there's so much happening and there's so many people actively using the platform. Um, now, I, I just, I'd like to switch gears to something uh, a little bit uh, different uh, and because I think we've covered a lot of what's important to talk about when 
thinking of practical things about finding a position in industry in this case. But um, one of the things that we kind of touched upon uh, a little bit, but uh, that I imagine that um, even when changes within an organization may arise are fear of change, a little bit of anxiety with with different uh, challenges that a new position can bring. Can you share a little bit about how, you know, what type of these type of obstacles or fears you may have felt first deciding, okay, I'm not going the postdoc way and I'm going to stick with, with this industry job. And second, uh, for example, uh, your last change uh, of position within the, the, the organization you work for meant a different scope, you know, an international scope. I'd like you to share how you deal with that, how you bring yourself to that mindset where you can, you know, take decisions and, and kind of have some certainty of, okay, this is what I want to do and this is what I don't want to do. As you can imagine, it's, it's not easy, huh? It's not easy. Uh, I think, you know, having, it's good to have the possibility of choosing, but um, it's always a dilemma when you need to choose. And at that time, um, choosing of canceling the postdoc, which that would close, that really would mean closing the door to research. Of course, that you can always try to apply again, but then um, let's be honest, right? That I knew that being away for at least, even if for one year, let's try now industry and then if I don't like it, I can always come back. Yes, I could. But I knew that being away for one year, not publishing, you know, science moves quite fast um, uh, nowadays. And I can see that, you know, most of my friends keep doing research and I, I like to hear them, but sometimes almost uh, seems like Chinese to me and <laughs> because so many new things going on um, that I can't be up to date. Um, but but that's the thing so that would mean closing that door but the dilemma was but what about if i don't like you know uh the job or you know if i don't have what it takes to succeed in the business world um but i don't have any marketing experience uh what about if they they think i'm a fraud but you know i'm not because they know that they are they are they are hiring me based on my curriculum and, and I'm not lying, right? They know that I'm, I don't have experience so far, but, but all these thoughts were um, on top of, of my head. So and it's, it's really not, uh, not easy, right, to, to choose. And every time that I moved uh, to another job, I face similar dilemmas, right? It's and as you can imagine, you were saying. So I was in a uh, uh, in the same job for ten years, also in the uh, healthcare industry, and I was um, I was offered this uh, great uh, um, project, and and that was 
you know, one of the reasons or the main reasons why I moved. It was, I really liked this project, you know, being a, um, uh, moving to an international role. And, and even though it's, uh, quite hard and it uh, makes me be away from home at least two days of the week and um, traveling a lot and very demanding but you know uh, it's uh, I still love doing it and and I don't regret moving uh, no changing but also at that time you know all the thoughts about is this a good uh, move in my career? You know, will I be able to manage this high-demanding job while having a little toddler at home? What about my marketing experience? I I know that I'm good now in what I'm doing in my environment or in Portugal, which is a very small country. When you think about now, I need to deal with. Um, Europe, Middle East, South Africa, and all those big countries. What about if I'm not good enough, you know? And so it's it's really very difficult to to think and and you think about the pros and cons and and all that. Of course, that um, it's very important to have the support of your family, whatever you do, right? It's if, if even if it's just to stay uh, and just uh, to stay in the same country and move to the next building uh, to a different job. Uh, uh, family support for me is very important. Yeah, I imagine you must have had like long conversations about this with your partner, also, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> I did. Partner, friends, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Definitely, uh, and but it's because you can imagine how also that change, you know, uh, how you um, how you how you have your daily life, you know, and the family, and how you need to change even simple things like we need to make sure that we have uh, uh, someone always available to pick her up at school if I'm not around or, you know, more help at the house because I'm not uh, here for a couple of days. So, or even sometimes the whole week. So, um, but at, at the end, uh, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, to, that I, I accepted that, um, it's, turning out to be a very uh, uh, great experience. And uh, um, and I would say that my advice that don't overthink, you know, it's normal to be anxious about the changes and it's normal to have doubts, but I think we really should embrace the opportunity and jump into the opportunities that are um, presented uh, to us, right? And then we should work hard to exceed ourselves in 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 the role uh, that we are offered and keep learning and and strive the best in everything uh, that we do i think it's the way to succeed now one of the things that this brings about for me has to do with self-care so in in all of this you know you you put yourself you give yourself challenges and clearly you when, once you do, you go full steam and you try to be to do your best. Um, but the question I'd like to ask you is, 
even even in graduate school when, when you were doing your phd uh, also you were full time you know digging into whichever uh, research uh, subject you were working on and and putting all your effort but what i'd like you to to share is what strategies or what habits do you have uh, that that are that help you specifically deal with the stress with the, sometimes this anxiety what do you do to to recharge batteries to sometimes find the peace to take decisions uh, do you have anything uh, on on that side that you can share i must say that uh we all know that nowadays all this cultivating the self and and there is a it's it's a hot topic right and there is a, a more collective awareness uh, for the importance of well-being of mental health and taking time for ourselves our family and i also see in in the in the industry um more and more the companies have initiatives like uh, such as walking meetings longer parental leaves gyms in the office all that um so now for me in in this position uh, and i think i i didn't say this uh, before so i'm home based uh, here in portugal um so when i'm not traveling i'm uh, home based and then when i'm traveling uh, um I don't have really an office with the gym, of course, that at least we can, we always have uh, uh, even a small gym in, in the hotels. But um, it's, it's very important now for the companies really to cultivate and to promote that well-being. Uh, and I, I, I really see that as a plus uh, because uh, we, we are always connected every time we w start working and start on conference calls and meetings even not traveling you know i can be seated for uh all day in the desk with my headphones just uh conference call after conference call so uh it's very important um to uh to have time for yourself to uh, say now today it's enough you know you do your own schedule you know you and as a portuguese for instance for me it's important to stop for at least 30 minutes and have a proper lunch and not have uh, a sandwich uh, while you are uh, typing an email you know uh, which is something that um uh other colleagues do because that's their culture of course but um having you know a, a very demanding job and even if i think about phd students you know that face important deadlines that are you know stressed with the vibe that's coming up um it's very important to say for today's enough now i will go for uh I'll go running for 30 minutes or go to the gym or um, I will pick up my kid at school uh, earlier today and go to the kindergarten uh, um, or go for a walk with him uh, uh, and play a bit. So, and, and I think that's where I find uh, the balance. When I'm not home, when I'm traveling, no, I... I use that time uh, to do all my emails and to try to catch up with all uh, the things that I have to do, um, but also find time to, uh, on the plane, 
to read a bit, to hear my podcasts, to make sure that I hit the gym uh, every time that I can. But then when I'm here, that I have time, and, and you know that, you know, to uh, have, go out with friends and have dinner with friends. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the most important things that, um, you know, uh, it's so easy with with the today's life and very busy and we need to prioritize the kids and and the job that we just forget to to have time for our friends and then suddenly it's christmas and everyone trying to, to schedule dinner so i really try to 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 get you know with my friends in a regular basis um try to go for me uh, and now during Christmas holidays, you know, just went all week skiing because it's really good. You just disconnect. You don't have your phone, your emails uh, and um, or hiking. That's something that I also enjoy. And, and most of the times in the mountains, you don't have network coverage, which is perfect. So, uh, and that would be a bit, uh, you know, my, my advice, even for the, you know, the young students, um, facing uh, deadlines during the, the PhDs that, uh, you know, whatever they do, what whatever they like to do, that, you know, uh, establish a routine, if it's meditation in the morning or running or, you know, find time to yourself at least once a week and prioritize yourself. Don't prioritize the job or the PhD or the kids, you know, uh, once a week at least prioritize yourself to recharge and, you know, to to feel more, uh, to feel better with yourself, basically. One of the things uh, uh, that I remember from from uh, when I was back in Lisbon was the, the group of friends we had uh, there at the, around the, the research labs and that, that created a very a very nice, uh, let's say, uh, safety net of uh, just of friendships of people with whom we spent more time. We we uh, we had meals. We uh, we did other things. So for sure, having a social network, uh, and not and not a virtual one, a real one uh, around yourself is super useful during uh, during grad school for sure, but also in, in throughout throughout life. But then having these little habits of disconnecting and and of uh, Taking care of, of, of you know of your health of your body and of your mind for sure. Uh, let me just add one thing here. You know that um, friends that I did during the PhD are are my friends for life now, uh, and they were a very they helped a lot not only during that uh, stage of my life but even afterwards in in uh, some difficult times. But now. Um, in more in the business environment um i know or we can't or maybe even we shouldn't be friends with everyone that we work with right but but i truly believe that having colleagues that we consider friends and there will always be people that uh resonates with you um and that you easily consider them as friends I do think that that makes your job a bit easier and lighter. And if you think about it, uh, we spend 
much more time during the week with our co-workers than with our family. So I once read a sentence that I completely agree with and I even wrote a bit of that in one of my LinkedIn posts. And it's something like this, you know, having friends at work can enhance the feeling that you are working towards a common goal or contributing to something bigger than yourself, which can be incredibly motivating and rewarding. And, you know, I agree 100% with this sentence. And I think it helps a lot when you work with people that you enjoy uh, to work with and that you consider friends. Yeah, that's definitely true. And same thing for, for when you are doing your PhD too. Having friends around you is always, uh, always brings, you know, some joy and makes things easier. Liliana, thank you so much for having you know, giving me, giving me this time that I know is precious for you. Uh, and, um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I hope that you'll keep having success after success in, in your endeavors and that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll keep enjoying what you do and that eventually you'll be able to, uh, to keep giving back to people who are out there and, uh, and asking themselves what's going to happen after my PhD. Thank you. I hope that, that uh, people find these useful. They, they definitely will. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.